If you have your Bible with us, you can get that out. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 14 in the story today. But before we get there, I just want to kind of review where we've been this last week in case you missed the intro to our series that we're calling Hope Rising that we kicked off last week. We're going to be doing four Sundays that lead us up to Easter Sunday. Uh, and we started off by recognizing this, this one really significant and important truth that, that many of us don't realize very often. But, but did you know that life is hard? <laughs> right? Amen? Yeah. Life is difficult. You don't have to be alive for more than an hour to know <laughs> that life is, can be painful. It, it's difficult. But, but when life gets hard, the challenge is that it often opens us to questions that maybe we hoped we'd never have to ask. And yet, because we have a hope that is rising within us, because we know that Jesus rose from the dead on that Easter Sunday all those years ago, we can know that when life leaves us feeling lost, confused, betrayed, abandoned, unjustly treated, brokenhearted, there is a beacon in the midst of the storm of our lives. There is a light to lead the way. There's a hope that we can hang on to. Psalm 46.1 reminds us that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The question we've been asking in this series, though, is whether in the midst of life's challenging circumstances, will we run to the light or will we run away from the light? Will our circumstances drive us to Jesus? Will our circumstances push us into the arms of a God who loves us? Or will they lead us to abandon God, to turn our back on God, to doubt God and mistrust that he cares and that he can help and to go our own way in life? You see, the risk is that when life gets hard, we're tempted to doubt God. We're tempted to what the Bible calls unbelief. Yet in this series, we are hoping to discover or rediscover that Jesus is not a distant judge who sits up in heaven and criticizes us without mercy and without grace. On the contrary, what the Bible reveals to us is that he has become our high priest. A high priest is a mediator. He's our bridge back to God. He is the ever-present help in times of trouble. That's why Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 tells us, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, because Jesus willingly suffered the betrayal, the abandonment, the false accusations, and the brutal treatment of the people that he loved the most, he knows and he understands the pain and the suffering that we too experience in our lives in this world. Because he gave his life to open the way back to relationship with God, he's able to meet us in the midst of our deepest fears and our greatest suffering as no one else can. And he can help us through our spirit and our relationship with God as no one else can. 
as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me this Easter season, we are invited to recognize that God promises that he too will redeem your suffering. He will heal your brokenness. He will bring life out of death for you and for me. Even in the midst of the darkest places in our lives, we can look to Jesus and see that he is our hope rising. Let's pause there. Would you pray with me again as we enter into God's word and ask his spirit to reveal to us that word that he has for you and for me this morning. Holy God, we thank you that you are a God. You are not a God who remains silent, but you are a God who speaks. And we invite you this morning to speak through your word and through your spirit, through our experience of church this morning, a word that we need to hear from you that, that is a word of encouragement, that's a word of healing, that's a word of challenge to, to awaken ourselves to your presence in our lives and to seek you as the only source of help that we truly need. And we will thank you for the ways that you bless us through your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Now, we're going to enter into the story of Jesus and his disciples again in the Gospel of Mark. As I said, we're going to be in chapter 14. Uh, I'm going to read in the uh, original flat screen version here, uh, and you can follow along on the words on the screen if you would like to or whatever other method you have. In verse 32 of chapter 14, the story continues that this is after the, the Last Supper, they celebrated the Passover feast, and then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, I don't know if this story of Jesus' experience touches any places in you in your experience of life in this world. But, but let's just take a minute and think about the reality of what is happening here for Jesus and between Jesus and his disciples. See, after sharing this Passover feast with his disciples, acknowledging that he is going to be broken bread and poured out wine to, to, to meet the needs of a lost and a hurting world and, and recognizing, he already acknowledged that he was about to be by, betrayed by, by the ones that he loved the most. 
close, Jesus takes his disciples out onto the Mount of Olives into this garden called Gethsemane, which simply means oil press. And he went to a a quiet and a secluded place in order to pray, in order to wrestle with God, to pour out his heart and to process his emotions. Have you ever been in a place like that where you just needed to get away? And you just needed some quiet space to be able to just wrestle with everything that was churning inside of you? See, once he's there, he invites uh, his most trusted friends, right? His, His inner circle of Peter, James, and John, his besties, right? He invites them to go a little further with him and to join in encouraging him and supporting him as he prays. And if we think about the story, Peter had just boasted that he would stand with Jesus through all of his trials, even if it meant his own death. Right? And if you go further back in the story, James and John had claimed and promised that they could drink the cup that Jesus was going to drink. Yeah, we can handle it. We're with you, Jesus. And so these trusted friends in this quiet, secluded place, he comes to them and he shares his heart with them. And he asks them to stay awake and pray with him while he goes a little further. And he, and he, and he prays for himself. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. I mean, do you ever think about Jesus in terms of his transparency of revealing his own inner struggle in his life, the psychological and emotional pain that he went through as becoming human in this world? He's not this glorified, deified, glowing Jesus on a cloud. He's a fully human being that experienced life in this world. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is their rabbi. He's the master. He's their teacher. He's their lead pastor. Essentially, he takes his his three best friends aside and he lets them know that he is not doing well. He's struggling personally. He's not okay. He's stressed out. He's overwhelmed. Have you ever been there? I have. The phrase sorrow to the point of death apparently was a common phrase used to indicate that someone was in extreme psychological and emotional pain and suffering. He was in anguish on the inside. Have you ever felt sorrow to the point of death? Have you ever been in extreme anguish on the inside and yet you never felt like you could let anyone know? Maybe you're feeling that way here this morning. And, and, and we keep it inside, we, we stuff it and we hold on to it and we don't feel like we can go anywhere with it because if we reveal to people that we're not okay, that we're not doing well, that we're overwhelmed, they're going to look down on us. They're going to think that we don't have it all together. I mean, this is America. You're supposed to be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen. And if you just try harder, then, then everything should be okay, right? Or maybe you haven't felt that you've had anyone in your life that you can trust enough to share the truth about what's going on in you because maybe they're just going to go off and fall asleep and not really care. You understand that Jesus knows what that's like? He understands the intensity and the, the painfulness of extreme suffering that we experience in this world. 
And Jesus here in the story is not in a good place. He's in the thick of it. He's in the heart of darkness. And he asks his closest friends to to stay with him and to keep awake and to keep watch, to keep vigil. We're going to talk a little bit more in a minute about what this idea of keeping watch is. But first, the story tells us a bit about his interaction with God. And I think this is telling, too. Verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, isn't it amazing that, that, that the Savior of the world on the night before he goes to the cross prays to the Heavenly Father, if at all possible, I don't want to do this. In the Bible, prayers asking God to change his mind are not considered insubordinate or, or off, off, out of bounds, but actually are a testament of belief and trust in God that he actually listens to prayer and he responds to the prayers of his people, although he responds in ways that are always in accordance with what his will is. See, it was common for Jewish believers to address God as Father. Uh, That was a common Jewish custom, and it was a part of their culture. God was understood to be the loving creator and the giver of life to all people. He was a heavenly Father, and in this broad sense, the people generally addressed God as Father. But yet no one used this intimate phrase that Jesus uses to talk to God as Father. Abba means Daddy. Jesus, in the darkest moment of his life, calls out to heaven, Daddy, save me. Take this cup from me. Don't make me do it. Yet not my will, he says, but your will be done. He expresses his amazing intimacy with God and his confidence that God is near and lovingly cares for him even though he knows that he most likely is going to have to go through with this deep, challenging call in his life. See, here we see that Jesus knows God the Father in ways that we do not. And in the midst of his anguish and the suffering of his soul, he's driven into the loving arms of a spiritual daddy who can comfort him and give him the courage to face whatever life is going to bring. Do you need a spiritual daddy this morning? I mean, our heavenly, I mean, our earthly daddies maybe have let us down and have not treated us well or have left us feeling abandoned and lost. And maybe especially because of that, we need a spiritual heavenly daddy who's not going to abandon us, who's not going to abuse us, who's not going to mistreat us or walk out on us or turn his back on us or, 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 or just any of those things that our earthly fathers are just not capable of doing because we too are human. Jesus expresses his confidence in his heavenly daddy with the ability to do whatever he wishes to do. And yet he comes to God the Father with his genuine fear and anxiety. Might there be another way? Is it at all possible I might escape having to drink this cup that you've given me to drink? I mean, if you think about Jesus and who he was and who he is, no one wants to suffer and die, right? No one willingly chooses to want to do that. Take this cup from me, was his prayer. And yet in the midst of his extremely challenging and difficult circumstances and knowing the direction that God was leading him, Jesus also knows what it's like to experience unanswered prayer. 
Or it might be better to say that Jesus knows what it's like to not get the answer he was hoping for. See, there's no voice from heaven here, and there were, as there were in other times, proclaiming, this is my son whom I love. There's no dove that descends from heaven. There's no ministering angels that appear to serve him. Jesus knows what it's like to experience the seeming silence of heaven in the midst of his deep anguish and despair. Ever felt that before? I know I have. And yet, because Jesus completely trusts in God as his heavenly father, as his spiritual daddy, he's also willing to be completely obedient to whatever God's will is and knows and trusts that it's the best for his life. He understands that if God doesn't grant the answer to the prayer that we are seeking, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care for us. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know what we're going through. It doesn't mean that he's not prepared to to guide us and to help us and to lead us in our lives, perhaps in ways that we don't even yet know or can't even imagine. That's why it requires faith. Do we recognize that we too in God the Father, have a loving, spiritual daddy that knows us and that loves us and that cares deeply about our own experiences of pain and suffering in our own lives. I remember I had a, one of my Garden of Gethsemane moments at the end of seminary. I, I call it that, right? So I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid, and I'd seen the, you know, the good side of church, a lot of the, the loving, wonderful things that church can be and could be, but I've also seen the ugly side of church, right? Who those who are supposed to understand what love is about treat each other the worst. To, to, to see how just as Jesus experienced betrayal and abandonment and, and abuse by those who he loved the most, we can experience those kinds of things in church ourselves, right? And I, and I believe God was calling me to become a pastor in a church. And I said, oh God, please take this cup from me. Right? If at all possible, I'll go on mission. I will start a parachurch organization. You know, I'll do something with students. Uh, but just don't make me serve in the church because I know how painful it can be. And God took me to Ephesians 5 and had me read that chapter where it talks about how husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and and all of this talk about marriage. And, And he took me to the very end of the chapter and Paul goes, this marriage thing is a mystery. (laughs) I'm talking about church. And what Jesus said to me, who better to love my bride than the one who understands her brokenness? And can love her to become the restored bride that I want her to be. And I was like, fine. (laughs) God's call often takes us as unwilling participants into places that we would rather not go. But in the end, it's God's best plan for our life. And to use us to be a blessing to others so that we advance the purposes of his kingdom in the world. Because Jesus has paid the price to reconcile us back to God the Father as a spiritual loving daddy. We too now have access to God in the same way and we can experience as an intimate loving father who doesn't mistreat us or abandon us but leads us on the path to our good and to his glory. 
Again, the real question is whether our experiences of life in this world will cause us to doubt God and to run from God, or will they cause us to run into the open, loving arms of the God who wants to welcome us back to himself? See, I think that's why Jesus strongly encourages his three best friends to stay awake, to pay attention, keep watch. In verse 38, he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We talked about this last week. The the real temptation that Jesus is talking about is the temptation to to unbelief, to doubt God in the midst of our circumstances. We can can believe the lie that God isn't there, that he doesn't care, that he's not going to help, that he can't find a way through the mess. It's a failure to trust God and to believe what God has said and to give ourselves to his will and his plan for our lives. And it's as a result of unbelief that we then give ourselves over to other unhealthy and spiritually unproductive choices in our lives. When we begin to doubt that God is a loving father who works all things for our good and for his glory, we open ourselves to believe the lies of the enemy that cause us to further doubt God and to run even further away from him instead of running to him for help. See, for Jesus to keep watch means to stay awake spiritually. To pay attention to what's going on in your own heart and the thoughts in your own mind and to ask, is that God's truth or, or is that the lies of the enemy or the lies of the world around me? And when we find ourselves struggling and experiencing internal pain and distress, does that pain and distress become a trigger to drive us further into God or does it drive us further away from? See, Jesus knows that we're not going to be perfect in all of this, right? He understands that our spirits are willing, but in our humanity, in our flesh nature, we are weak, and we're not going to do this perfectly. His own three best friends couldn't stay awake and pray with him because they didn't understand the, the crisis that was already upon him. And they, like us, need God's help in order to stay awake spiritually. That's why Jesus was willing to drink the bitter cup that he was asked to drink for them and for you and for me because we all need rescue. We all need help. We all need a savior. He didn't want to suffer and die, but he was willing to trust that God's call and plan for his life was ultimately better than whatever his own emotions told him was best for himself. His willing obedience to experience the pain and suffering of life in this world is what opened the door for us to be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because we come to God now not as a heavenly judge and jury, but as a spiritual father, as a loving daddy who treats us with compassion and mercy and grace, and he'll let us squirm around and cry and, and, and complain, and he'll, he'll stay with us through all of the range of emotions until we finally calm down and can listen to his voice in our lives. See, we too need to stay watchful in our own lives. We need to be on guard against our own thoughts and emotions that would seek to pull us away from Jesus in our lives and away from our faith that becomes the anchor for our souls, Hebrews says. And I'd also like to suggest for us this morning that this is one of the key pieces of what it means for us to be the church together. 
We are supposed to be Peter, James, and John for one another, but not what besties who fall asleep, but besties who stay awake in the middle of the night. Do you have two or three friends that you can call at two o'clock in the morning when you're not doing okay, and they say, I'll be right over? We all need those people in our lives. That's why we we say here at Faith Covenant Church, you need to be in a small group. You're not going to grow in your faith. You're not going to experience church if you don't have a few other people in your life that you're building a more intimate, trusted relationship with. And maybe that's just one or two people, or maybe it's eight or ten. It really doesn't matter how many as long as there are some. How do we help one another to stay awake spiritually because none of us can do it? alone. We need to prepare our hearts and our minds because none of us knows when the next crisis will hit. Right? You, 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 you notice I didn't say if. None of us knows when the next crisis will hit, but we know it's going to come. And that's why we need to stay vigil. We need to stay awake. We need to pay attention. We need to keep watch over our souls and the souls of those around us so that when it comes, we're reminded that we have a refuge and a strength in God and we can run to him for help. But if we aren't spiritually prepared and awake, we run the risk of having our circumstances derail our relationship with God and lead us into even more dark and painful places in our lives. Enough. Jesus says, there's no more time for preparation. The hour has come. The crisis has arrived. Arise, he says in verse 42. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. It's game on time for Jesus. And we're not going to have time to read further in the story, but if you're familiar with it, you know that Judas, who was one of the 12, arrives with a band of armed men to arrest Jesus. But the, the armed men didn't necessarily know who, who Jesus was, and so to identify him out of the crowd, Judas, who, who was one of his closest disciples, in a sign of seeming love and respect, comes up to Jesus and betrays him with a holy kiss. Ouch. How painful is that? And then verse 50, jumping to the end, it tells us then everyone deserted him and fled. Now, we don't have time to talk about it, but one guy even lost his tunic and ran off buck naked into the night. (laughs) Everyone deserted him and fled. Have you ever felt completely alone? Have you ever felt like you've been isolated. Maybe you're in a crowd of people like here on Sunday morning and yet you feel completely like no one knows you or understands you. Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus knows what it's like to feel isolation from relationship and to be abandoned by those who are closest to him. And he reminds us that this idea of spiritual drowsiness is dangerous to our health. See, to sleep is to stop It's to stop talking to God. It's to stop going to God and engaging him with the needs that we have and the challenges in our lives. To sleep is to be unable to recognize when we're entering into a time of spiritual trial, which is a time when we need God the most, and to look to God in the midst of it. To sleep is to assume that we have everything that we need apart from God and that we don't really need anything else in our life, and we fail to recognize our own human weakness in in ourselves without God. 
Instead, what we are reminded by this series is that we have a high priest in heaven, a bridge to God, an ever-present help in times of trouble, and that we can and we need to run to God in those darkest moments of our lives. That's when God has the most power to help us because in our weakness, his strength is what sees us through. Amen? Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, and he didn't sin. He knows how to guide us through those challenges. He knows how to prevent us from falling to temptation to unbelief. And he knows how to lead us into the loving arms of a heavenly father who made you and knows you better than you know yourself. Therefore, Hebrews 4.16 tells us, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. As Christians, we can approach God with unabashed openness, without shame, without guilt, because God alone is the source of what we need the most. And we can believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will help us in our time of need. This Easter season, as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, and we celebrate his resurrection, we also must remember that even when life leaves us feeling lost and confused and betrayed and abandoned, unjustly treated, brokenhearted, there is a beacon in the storm. There's a light to lead the way. There's a hope we can hang on to question is whether in the midst of life's challenging circumstances, will we run into the light or will we run away from it? God promises he will redeem your suffering. He will overcome your fears. He will heal your brokenness. He will restore your relationships. He will bring life out of death. Even in the midst of the darkest places in your life and in my life, we can look to Jesus because he is our hope rising. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you that as we look to the pain and the suffering and the anguish of Jesus, we can have hope that he willingly chose to go through the darkest, most painful experiences of life in this world so that we could find hope and help and healing in the midst of our own experiences of pain and suffering. Give us the courage this morning, God, to run to you, to understand that you are a spiritual daddy who wants to love us and care for us. And that even though sometimes your answer to our prayers might not be the ones we're hoping for, we trust that your answer is the best and we put our faith in you and are willing to walk in obedience to your will in our lives. God, weave us together as a community of faith and trust that encourages and helps one another to stay awake spiritually in the middle of night, in those dark time places. Help us to be available to one another, to pray for one another, and to seek your will and your help in our lives. And God, we will thank you and praise you for the ways that you bring your healing, you bring your restoration, and you bring life out of death for us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus who gave his life so that we might have life and have it to the full. Amen.